Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back everybody to Savage to Sage. This is Daniel, the co-host. I am really excited about today's show because we have an author here with us, and this is one of the first few author conversations that we have done on Savage to Sage. And today we're joined by Steve Johns, who's the author of Fearless, and the tagline, Leadership Lessons at the Crossroads. And he's Steve is also the CEO of One Cause. So welcome, Steve. Thanks, Daniel. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So talk to us first a little bit about One Cause. Give us the quick elevator pitch. What, what do you all do? Happy to do that. Well, I get to be the CEO of One Cause, and we make software solutions for nonprofits to help them fundraise easier and, and fun. And so we provide mobile solutions for events like galas and dinners and, and golf outings, as well as runs and walks and rides. So really, anytime you've ever used kind of a, a mobile device to, to do fundraising or to bid on an item, you've probably interfaced with our technology. And uh, I've been the CEO. I'm in my ninth year of the of being a CEO um, at the company. I joined in uh, 2014. Okay. Actually, my background prior to Fullstack was in the nonprofit space. I didn't do as much with development, but I had a lot of friends, you know, in one case, the director of development at an organization. I just remember some of the headaches that he was experiencing. And so knowing what you do at One Cause, I'm sure alleviating a lot of headaches for people like him which is fantastic because, man, to remove the barriers for philanthropy, that that's such a great cause. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, really giving is not easy. Software is really hard to use and nonprofits don't have time or budgets to, to innovate. And so what we really want to do is we really want to be the solution to say, listen, don't worry about this aspect of fundraising. We've got this covered. You know, just have them free up that time to focus on really the cause and, and the mission. And so we're really using modern technology and innovation, and we're investing in an area where nonprofits really can't. And we're just, we're just leveraging that investment. And again, just ha- helping make it more fun and, and easier to fundraise. That's great. Yeah. Cause I think it, I also remember it was hard to have joy in that space when it was, it was so clunky and just such hard work. And in some cases, you know, Oh, are we going to make payroll this month? You know, and so you can't lose the fun or the joy in that either, or else it's hard to last long in that space. So no doubt. I think we, and we bring more joy. I think we bring more because, you know, if you've ever been to a fundraising gala or a big dinner and you just see the scoreboard up in front and you see, you just see them hitting their numbers and and you see the, the, the funds that are being raised and you see the excitement around that and people connecting with the cause it's it's really it's really impactful. You can you can really make a difference, and so that's really what our goal is, and that's what we strive for. I love it. Well, obviously today I want to hear a lot about Fearless and kind of why you wrote the book and just a little bit more about it. But prior to that, with Savage to Sage, our focus in these conversations is on your evolution as as an entrepreneur, and uh, we we realize too and. Like sometimes people misinterpret Savage to Sage as like you kind of have to leave the savagery behind to become a sage. But what we've realized is that you kind of, especially in the life cycle of startup and scale up organizations like you at One Cause have been 
in those seasons um, kind of requires savagery at different in diff- those different seasons in different ways. And so, talk a little bit about your like the savagery when you first started at One Cause and what was that like? And tell tell a little bit of that story of just like when you started on the journey with One Cause. Yeah, I I appreciate that, and I really appreciate the the notion of of savagery and and sage and and when i think about it think about it personally think about me in earlier in my career certainly i felt more as a savage and today as a as a 9 year leader of the company certainly feel more sage like but to your point there are moments in time where you have to kind of turn that on and turn that off and in fact as i think about some of the writings that i did for fearless i would I would invoke imagery of a warrior and a warrior who was committed to the cause. And so I was really encouraging all of the, the One Cause Nation to be warriors, to be fearless, to, to, to go to battle on behalf of One Cause and on behalf of our nonprofit customers as we fought to keep fundraising through the global pandemic. And so as I think about the early days of One Cause, we were called BidPal at the time, and we were focused on really in-room fundraising with lots of technology in the room. But I would say that it was a company that was started based on the technology that, that existed at the time. It was 2008, and so the cloud was not ubiquitous, and we weren't all running around with smartphones in our pockets. We are now, so we had to change and adapt. And so there was a lot of technology change that was happening in 2012 to 2014. And we had to really shift and pivot the company there to stay up with the changing technology that we were, that was now becoming available to us to grow and scale the business. And so without that change and without that pivot back in 2014, 2015, we wouldn't have been able to be where we are today in terms of our ability to grow and scale and have hundreds, literally hundreds of fundraising events in a weekend where in the past that would have been limited to tens of fundraising events. And so early days, we really had to fight. We really had to be savages about how we were growing our business and shifting and, and, and pivoting to, to meet the changing uh, technology needs. And then that led us into 2020 in this whole world of shifting and pivoting again from a business that we had built primarily to support in-person fundraising. So if you picture a fundraising gala at the JW Marriott, 500 people come together, they use their phones to bid on items, they use their phones to donate, they're in the room. And we all know that in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, we all had a shelter-in-place order. And all of our scheduled in-person events had to be shifted to virtual and online fundraising within minutes, within literally within a day. And that was the, you know, that really got us to take action. And if you want to uh, uh, take the savagery approach to it, we became savages to help our nonprofit customers make that pivot and make that shift, continue to use our technology to, to fundraise, but now not fundraising in person, but fundraising from living rooms and kitchens and basements and, and private studios and, and really um, uh, being creative and, and figuring out a way to keep that fundraising going again in the face of this massive challenge that, that we all faced. Yeah. I can't wait to hear more of that story today. And then as we, you know, continue to interact in, I know 
being that we're both in the Indianapolis community. I'm curious about, like, we like to talk about the person behind the company. And I think when we go through that savagery, like you described in the early days and this pivot to the smartphone cloud, but then also in 2020, we learned so much about ourselves. And I mean, self-awareness, I would say, is is a very overused term, but I also believe it's very key to to leadership right now and to be a relevant executive of a company. And so what would you say were some of the the key lessons that you learned about yourself, maybe some hard truths that you had to learn and swallow and grow from during those times? I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about that because I would say that whenever I take those those tests, I don't really register on on the self-awareness scale very high. And I I I think that what I what I do is I just execute and then I try to observe. And so then then I kind of develop my own self-awareness by executing and observing. So what did I learn? Um, I, I learned that that my 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 style was much more inclusive um, than exclusive. I wanted advice. I wanted to to be connected to people. And I think that one of the things that we really lost during the pandemic was this notion of human connection. Even today, I'm speaking to you from my office. I like to come in. I like to be surrounded by by people. I like to experience that that human connection. I I, I just feel that maybe that's maybe that's more of an old school uh, type of leadership style. I do not micromanage in any way. I give people the freedom to execute and the freedom to, to build uh, in their image, as, as I say. I want people to really build their, their departments and their organizations in their image. And I try to get out of the way as much as I possibly can and to provide that, that um, top-level leadership and guidance as much as I can. And I guess I'm also a fixer. I'm a problem fixer. And so what was the pandemic? But it was a big problem to fix. And so we all went into action. And we put our masks on first. We took care of the company. We made sure that we were financially viable. And then we went to work to help our nonprofit customers uh, keep fundraising. And that was, the, that was the main goal. And I would say this, I never allowed myself to believe that we couldn't make it as now, because I just went into execution mode. As I now observe that execution mode, I think, Wow, that was those were really some rough times. Uh, we really probably were at at risk of 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 not making it, but the stakes were so high. The stakes weren't just the survival and continued existence of one cause. The stakes were so high. We we literally had thousands of nonprofits who were relying on us as their partner, as their technology partner, to continue to work with them to fund all of these incredible missions, whether it's homelessness or, or poverty or education or disease and, and disorder, we had a higher obligation to stay in business, to continue to help our customers stay in business, to keep funding their missions. It drove us. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. And it's so good to, to know about yourself in those times. And I, I've, I'm trying to remember the author you wrote might remember that describes kind of the difference of like wartime CEO versus peacetime CEO, but almost basically saying like the best CEOs are aware of like what persona is required for which seasons. So clearly like you were in wartime CEO mode during that time. What would you say is like, I, I think there's some wisdom and 
I, I particularly follow a tool called the Enneagram. And there's some wisdom that says like the best part of you is also like the worst part of you. And almost like there's always a dark side to the light side. Um, what would you say is some like in terms of the difficult parts that you've had to learn about sometimes like execution is not needed, you know, and you have to sit back and try something different. Like what, what have you learned in those spaces? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point because I do, I do like to do. And, and so I think that the challenge for somebody like myself is, is, is to, to have the discipline to, to sit back and, and lead and, and let others do. And, and so I I would also bring into, to the conversation that CEOs aren't the only leaders of the business. And my, a core to my philosophy is we are all leaders. And there was a really great quote, and I can't remember who said it, but it was something to the effect of the mark of a true leader is to inspire others to lead. And that's what I try to do is, is, is not lead and just, you just have to follow me, but lead and inspire you to be a leader and then you can lead. And so the entire organization is rallying around that, that same concept. So it really is, if I'm a fixer, I, I need to know when it, when it is, I got to get my hands out of there and get out of the way and let the other, let the team uh, take it from there. I think that's probably one of the things that I probably have to keep reminding myself of. So let's talk a, a little bit about fearless. And um, so first off, I'm, I'm really curious and I actually see the Lotus and the image behind you. And so could you share a little bit about that image and kind of what it means in the context of your book? I'm, I'm so happy to. So, so the, the imagery is that of this beautiful white Lotus flower and where that really goes back to is I was sitting on my meditation mat one morning, listening to my mindfulness app. And I heard this story, and it comes from ancient Buddhism, of the 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 the, the bud of the lotus the lotus flower as it kind of moves its way through the dirt and the muck and the mud of the pond, and that that bud is representative of potential, and it doesn't realize its full potential until it works its way out of the mud through the the grime of the pond, and then emerges on the top of the pond and then just explodes into this beautiful transformation and rebirth of this this beautiful lotus flower. And so as I heard the story, I thought, okay, that's that's us. But we are not a beautiful lotus flower right now. We're in the mud. We're a bud in the mud. but, But I have to be able to tell the story that says there's hope. There, the, it create that image that says, although we are now and our customers are now in the mud of the pond, we are the potential of that bud. We need to work our way through the mud, through the pond, and hopefully emerge as this beautiful lotus flower. And again, when I heard that story, I felt this is the illustration that I need to take to one cause to be able to, to, to just give them hope that we're not there yet. We have a long way to go, but this is what we're striving for. And then from there, I would say that that really became a foundation for the updates that I wrote. Really, from there, I would seek inspiration from the mind- mindfulness app. I would seek inspiration from 
headlines in the news, I would seek inspiration from, we were all watching a lot of Netflix at the time. So if I was watching a Netflix show and I, and I would, I would get inspiration from that. And so I took these stories, these third-party stories from outside of fundraising and outside of technology, and I tried to make them applicable to the situation that we were dealing with every week and provide some form of, um, again, some sort of meaning around that to help the team make it through to another week as we were all really kind of week to week there in terms of, um, you know, what, what's going to happen next. I love that image and just metaphor. That's such a rich metaphor. And I'm curious for you as a leader, like this is a question we often ask in the show of like, one way to say it is what do you do to recharge? But in this case, like to, to stay fresh in that vision. Cause I think we always, as leaders have to stay fresh in that ourselves and, and keep renewing that um, or else, you know, we can become, you know, just, we just get stuck in, in the mire in the mud. And so like, it sounds like meditation is something for you that, that helps with that. But what, what else like keeps you recharged in that, in that vision? It, it is something that I do very, very, uh, I do it very faithfully every morning. I set my, my alarm for 22 minutes and I sit and, and, and I just really try to relax and, and try and gather myself for the day. I, w- I would say I try to take my own advice. I'm always encouraging my team to, liter- to really take time off, to disconnect and take time off. And so I've been, a, I do that also. So, so people in the organization don't say, well, well, I know that Steve is encouraging me to take time off and to recharge and to kind of sharpen the saw instead of continuing to saw. But Steve's not doing that, but I, I am doing it. And, and I, I take the time. I go on vacations. I find places where I can, and where I can work and stay connected, but also re- recharge a little bit. I would say this. I've been told by someone that, Steve, you can't expect your executive team to match your energy. I really do have a high level of energy, but they really do. I have an executive team that performs at an incredibly high level, but we all have to sit around and remind ourselves. I I sent this email to to one of my team the other day. Don't burn yourself out. Like I know that, that we're, that we're really going hard here, but we have to take the time. I truly feel that we've been on uh, something of that. I've been on something of a nine year sprint with, with one cause because there's so much opportunity to continue to grow the, the mission is so important that it always gives me the fuel to keep going. I haven't, I haven't run out of that fuel, but it really is in, in important to, to, to recharge um, and regroup and, and find meaning. And again, I would say this, one cause gives me such meaning. It, 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 you know, we say, talk about finding your why. The, 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 my why used to be taking care of men, making sure that I was going to create a better life for my children. And when they became grown and when they moved on and are successful and independent, um, it was literally like I was turning 50. It was the same year that my kids were kind of uh, leaving the nest and I was kind of struggling. I I maybe had gotten to that moment where maybe I was almost potentially burned out or I, I lost passion and I discovered that I needed something that had more meaning and more purpose. And the next year I found one cause. And for me, that again, that was that has been nine years. It's been an incredible journey, and um, it is only really just getting started. We have so much to do. That's what keeps me going. 
what you're talking about there is just how important having like purpose and and passion behind that purpose is to keep us going to to do meaningful work and would you say that was something during the, I know the book kind of was birthed out of the pandemic but was that something that that kept your team going as a whole like through the mire of the pandemic was was that purpose because I a lot of companies in your space were were laying people off in some cases proactively before there was even a financial hardship but like you you kept going you were growing like what what was that about it it was truly about being being driven by you know as i said earlier it's we were driven by something bigger than just one cause it was be, we were being driven by this compelling need to continue to to be there for our our customers to we knew that as a, as just as a matter of fact we had 2100 in person fundraising events on the books for spring of 2020 that went to zero in an instant and so we knew the need was real so we 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 went about calling every single one of those customers who had an event that was scheduled for the you know of course we prioritized who's going to have who's who has an event next week in the next 2 weeks in the next 3 weeks in the next month in the next quarter but we made sure that we took care of it everyone. And so again, as an executive team, we made the decision to do some cost cutting, to do some belt tightening, but not to do a reduction in force because we knew that that would destroy morale. And we were also taking a chance that we were going to need everyone. We were going to need all hands on deck to help us through this tough time. No one knew when it was going to end. In some sense, it's not even over yet. I mean, it's just maybe got a long tail right now. But we knew that 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 a reduction in force would would destroy that morale, and so we we made the adjustments. And in fact, that's really where the story of Fearless came from. Because I made a commitment to the company early on to say we're not going. Our way back isn't going to be defined by the calendar. I can't tell you in September of 2020 we're going to be cool. You know, just it's not going to be three months or five months. I don't know. And the only way that, that we're going to know is the performance of the business and getting back to doing fundraising events and supporting our customers. And so I made a commitment to communicate weekly to the team. And so I do say that I'm an accidental author because when the first time I sat down at a keyboard, I didn't sit down to write a book. I sat down to write a letter to the company to say, how are you? How are you doing? I, I hope you're okay. Like these are crazy times and we're going to make it back. And I don't know, I don't have all the answers but we're going to figure it out. And then I sent another one the next week and another one the next week. And then what happened is in the summer of 2021, my marketing team, and by the way, my marketing team is amazing. They, they took that, that Lotus imagery and created all the imagery for Fearless. It is just beautiful. It, it's, it's gorgeous. They presented to me in the summer of 2021, a bound, like a spiral bound copy of all of my weekly 2020 updates and it was really emotional. And I started looking at those and I, I'm getting choked up just, just thinking about it. We got, we got choked up looking at it and we said, this is the potential. This might be enough content here for a book. And then we took that idea. We added that to the 2021 updates. And then we spent 2022 really editing, combining updates into, uh, into, into chapters, writing introductory um, pages, and then creating these three or four leadership lessons that we included at the back of every chapter. So 
if anybody is a believer in the too long, don't read and just wants to go to the back of every chapter, you'll find three or four specific leadership lessons. I think there's over 50 in, in the book that you can use. And, and I also want to say this, Daniel, that while those leadership lessons may have been learned and maybe practiced during the pandemic, I believe that these are leadership lessons and in, in the, the, it's, it's the subtitles leadership lessons at the crossroads. I believe we reach crossroads every day. We have decision points that we make every day. And I believe that, that although these leadership lessons were maybe learned during this time of global crisis and global pandemic, I hope that the reader will be able to find nuggets that they can take away and say, I can use that tomorrow. Or, mm-hmm. you know what? This is, I just, I'm so glad that I was able to see this today because I have a meeting with someone tomorrow and I'm going to use this little bit of knowledge to make that meeting just a little bit better tomorrow. That's so good. Uh, do you have a, like a one of those leadership lessons that's been most personally impactful for you? I, I do. And I would say that my favorite chapter, which includes the lesson, is the ch- uh, chapter 15 and it's called um, Connect. And so as I, I think about what the pandemic took away from us, what it stole from us was a lot of things, but I, I, I would say the most impactful is human connection. And so in chapter 15, and so the pandemic took away human connection in the form of we, we, we weren't able to come together in the office, but we weren't able to see sick, sick relatives. We weren't able to, to, to witness births. We weren't able to witness, unfortunately, death. And so I wrote about human connection in, in three different ways. Number one, I wrote about it in terms of family. And I related a story of, you know, we packed up our, our, our SUV and headed out West because that's what we were doing. You know, we weren't traveling uh, overseas or you, you just weren't traveling. And so I wrote about family and I wrote about, you know, the, what's great about family and then what's annoying about family. And, and I wrote about, I wrote about one cause and how I feel one cause is, is an extension of, of my family. And I know that there are others who write that, you know, they say, you know, stop saying that, that your company is your family. I truly believe it. And so you can just, people can disagree with me, but that's what I believe. And that's what I wrote about. And then I wrote about friendship. That's the other thing that was taken away from, from us is just reconnecting with people who need you, who, and, and maybe you need people and, and making sure that you're reaching out and reconnecting with friends. And then finally, I talked about, I called it celebrating life and we were facing death. Um, and so my, my, my call to action was celebrate life now while we can. Let's not wait. Let's let the pandemic teach us that, man, we don't know what is going to happen next. And so therefore, let's live our lives today. Let's celebrate life. Let's not wait. Um, and, and let's, and let's really take action. And so it's all about this, you know, this nurturing human connection to form this tighter community and really to build extended culture. And so, and then unfortunately, Daniel, we're going to be experiencing, I, I've already, I already see it and I'm sure you've seen it too. We're going to be experiencing the negative impacts of the lack of human connection for years to come. We were, we were behave, we were telling our kids, there's people coming down the sidewalk. Let's move to the other side. You know, we were, we were telling people, kids in and ourselves to avoid humans because they were a threat. And I think that that's not to be taken lightly. And it was, I think, you know, the, 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 the pandemic took a lot from us, but that was one of the things that was almost unique to the pandemic is that 
that that absence of human connection overnight. Yeah. I'm I'm getting some chills here just because I I'm thinking about your title too of fearless and like essentially what the pandemic did was create fear around just the basics of human connection. Like is it is it safe for me to go to like in my case for my kids to interact with their grandparents who live five minutes down the road and just stoking fear. Like our culture already is really bad at stoking fears. We were bad at it before the pandemic, but pandemic just accentuated that. I'm curious if, if there was some intentionality around the title fearless. And if so, like, what was it? I've just grown to, I mean, I loved it when we came up with the title. I've grown to love it even more. Just the concept of fearlessness. It, it truly is, to your point, it's it's fearless is being willing to move forward and take action in the face of great unknown. And I think that's what we were doing. We were being willing to take action. We were being willing to move forward. And, and you know, it, 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 there's vulnerability that goes with that as well, because if you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable and you, you, you're not authentic and you're not a truth teller because in the world of the pandemic, no one had the answers. If I would have stood in front of my team and I said, Hey, everybody, I'm the CEO. Don't worry. I've got all the answers. Just follow me. I would have, I would not have been seen as authentic or a truth teller. The people, people would have seen right through that. So you have to say, I don't have all the answers. But despite the fact that we don't have all the answers and there's so much unknown, we all collectively have to be willing to move forward into that great, vast unknown and be fearless in what we do and the actions that we take. And yes, and so as I look back, I don't, I I, I talked about not having fear. I talked about being fearless in the book a couple of times, but it's for me, it's just such a great banner to operate under, even not in the face of a global pandemic, just, just to your point for, to, for entrepreneurs, for, for those who are just embarking upon this journey of entrepreneurship, you can't be an entrepreneur and have fear. You have to move forward with fearlessness because there's so much unknown. You just have to be willing to move forward and take action. I think there's, there's something in that too. I heard once just kind of the difference of, of bravery and courage and like bravery is described basically as you, you don't even, you're, you aren't even aware of the fear. You just do crazy things and go after stuff without an awareness of like, what's, what are the potential consequences? Whereas courage is basically you're staring the consequences and what there could be to be afraid of in the face. And you're choosing to, to walk forward, you know, without fear toward, you know, what it is that, you know, you need to go to. And so like, I don't know, talk about that because as a, as a business leader, I mean, you're, you're aware of potential consequences of choices that you make all the time. So like, how do you, how do you move forward and encourage? What, what you got me thinking about as you were talking about those different descriptions of behavior, I use the word hope because there are so many different ways that you could look at hope. And, and I, and I don't you look at hope as false hope or hope that's based upon some wish, but you can have hope that is rooted in a plan. You can have hope that's rooted in a strategy. 
And so, and then it is the expectation of a better world, getting to a better place by executing that plan in, in strategy. And that's what, for me, that's what hope is. And so I wrote a lot about hope in the book, but it wasn't about false hope. It wasn't about a hope that wasn't based on, 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 on anything. It was based on a plan and executing to that plan. So I think that's what I like to think about in terms of, because fearless is not just, it's not going forth without a plan. <laughs> fearless is going forth with a plan. You just don't have, you, you just don't have all the information. There's just a bunch of, a, a bunch of unknown, but we certainly want to move forward with a plan. So good. Yeah. The pandemic seemed to just draw things that were, were, were true are, are to the surface in a way. In some ways it was very, like you look at the rise of hate crimes, you know, which ultimately I would say the root of those is fear. Those kind of came to the surface, the political divides, you know, came to the surface, like businesses that were challenged, those challenges really came to the surface, um, during the pandemic, but then also I'd say just the the mental health crisis, or now like a mental health pandemic, well that was was there, but it was I would say it was more under the surface. Is now you know very much so at at the surface. I mean, like the use of anxiety, the use of anxiety medications um, is through the roof compared to prior to the pandemic. How do you lead a, a company authentically through like the the mental health pandemic that that is at play right now. Yeah, I th- I think that that is it. That is yet to be determined how how we're going to really navigate our way through that. What what you got me thinking about was, and I like alliteration, and you used a couple of words that I'm gonna I'm gonna reuse as well. And 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 I write about this in the book. If given the if given the choice between hate and hubris and and hope and humility which do you choose and i think that that that's the way that we need to live our lives going forward is like we have to we have to leave hate and hubris behind and pursue humility and hope and so as we move forward you know we're again we're experiencing this with you know a, a word that i use a lot these days too is grace we have to give grace and we have to 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 to, to be able to recognize that 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 the needs of of individuals are changing and have probably been changed forever as we look to the future and we think about the the effect of the pandemic on everybody and so we have to be we have to give grace and we have to provide people our team with the flexibility and i think that that's the way that we're approaching our future of work right now so i think the future of work is a big experimentation right now about how we deal with everyone in a post-pandemic world. And so I think there are those who have become very used to working from home and have become very even productive working from home. And let's let that continue. Let's let the productivity continue if somebody is 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 doing focused work and being successful at home, we're going to let that continue and we're going to encourage that and we're going to we're going to nurture that. However, if if coming into the office and participating in team building and, and, and communication is what you need in order to do your job effectively and efficiently, well, then we're going to provide an, an opportunity for you to do that. 
and then we'll get together every every quarter as an all company. We'll get together once a year, everybody in person, so that we can continue that human connection, that that continue that bond that brings us all together uh, at least on a once a year basis. So I think how we manage the future of work, whether that what we call it is people first. So it's not office first, it's not virtual first. We call it people first. And it puts the needs of the people together with the needs of the organization in a way that is balanced. And that's what we want to do. And I believe that that's how we're doing it. And that's our plan for moving forward. And that's a big piece of dealing with people and 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 the issues that they face as they come back to, um, you know, the work environment. That's good. Yeah, I I think there was this shift already happening before the pandemic, where what we're talking about, you know, ultimately fits under the category of human resources. But that has largely become a commoditized term. Just the term itself. I mean, the thought of humans being resources for a company. I mean, is ironic in and of itself. But then we really believe at full stack, like we're moving toward exactly what you said, where instead we're, it has to be changed to people experience. And like, what is your people's experience as a a one cause employee? And how are you nurturing that, you know, not only to get the most out of them for the sake of the growth of one cause business and serving your clients, you know, fulfilling your mission, but also for them to have you know, find personal purpose and in what they do and do meaningful work. And so I'm curious how you thread that needle. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm so, I'm so happy to talk about that. So we have rebranded human resources to people and culture. And I think that that is a great rallying cry for what we do. And we really focus on our people and culture. And we're in 2023, we're making investments in people and culture by focusing on professional development, uh, mentoring, really invest, making sure that we have competitive uh, salaries and, and, and benefits, making sure that we uh, focus on, on, on every aspect of culture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it and maybe relate it back to the book a little bit and relate it back to the pandemic a little bit. On March 17th or where, whenever it was, just, uh, just, just that Monday or Tuesday right after that fateful weekend when we all went home, everybody was in the office and, and distributed and we all went home immediately. And so the other, the other thing that my updates did was provide this, this tether, this connection, this culture. We had just come up with this great set of values that I was famous, infamous, famous for saying, I don't want it to just be words on a t-shirt or words on a coffee mug. And then I wrote in in one of my updates, now we don't even have t-shirts and coffee mugs and posters anymore because we all just went home. So like we, I I thought that was the minimum. This, this, this was unprecedented. I don't, I don't, what should we do here? So the, the updates became a way for me to stay connected with everyone and, and, and keep that culture really, really cultivated as we moved forward and we all went work from anywhere for that period of time. And I know because I got this amazing feedback from the team, when they received those updates, I would receive five, six, seven emails back. Steve, thank you so much for sending that. I was in, 
I really, my, my, I was letting my mind kind of go a bad direction and you kind of helped bring me back or you knew exactly what I was, what I was worrying about or what I was thinking about. My, I didn't know what to do with my kids. Uh, my kids, they went to school, then they came home. We're trying distance learning. Now we're going to homeschool them. There was so much that was going back and forth. And so I used these updates as a way to keep continual conversation going and for everyone to know that there was a common connection that, that they, could, they could rely on, that they could count on every week. They could hear from me. They could hear my voice and give them reassurances that we were going to make it through. I didn't have all the answers, but we were going to stick together and, and make it through together. And, and we did. Yeah. There, a couple of proverbs come to mind as you, as you just said that one is, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, and so like you with, with those messages, you know, like if, if you did not give those, you know, that would be hope deferred and people's like hearts would get sick because, you know, they're not connecting to that hope of that, that we need and, you know, in community with other people. The second one was without vision, the people perish. And I'm guessing if I was to read some of those, those messages that you sent out, you were casting vision for, we're in the midst of the unknown, we're in the mud, you know, but like, here's, here's where we're going. Here's why. And that, that does tether people to, to meaning in a way and helps them to keep going. So. Right. Right. And again, it's, it's hope. And, and I, I love that you use the analogy again, because it's this great analogy that we're also sometimes referencing some of the, some of the emergency response, response, recovery, mitigation, and preparedness. And so I would say, Hey, we're still in emergency response here. We haven't even moved to recovery yet, let alone preparedness and and and, and mitigation. And so the, there there was a famous saying back then that there's no playbook that's been written for what we're going through, and it's true. But there were certainly learnings that we could borrow, and you just you just quoted a couple of them. And so what we were trying to do, and what I tried to do, is find those illustrations, find those stories that I could relay in a way that made that made that time a little bit easier to handle. And it was about, uh, I wrote about time management and this, this, the use of this Eisenhower matrix and the Stephen Covey, uh, uh, urgent and, and important matrix and, and just figuring out a way to say, listen, I know that you're struggling for time. Give yourself more time by eliminating the things that are not urgent and not important. Like just stop doing those. And then you'll find time for, for other things. And, and just talking about the, the waterfall of all of the inputs that are coming at you, the Facebook and, and Twitter, and just shut it off and find a quiet corner of your house and just breathe or just find a journal and, and write down your thoughts or write down what you're grateful for. And, and, and just take those moments where you can just provide yourself some level of peace. And I know that it maybe was like an upstairs closet to get peace because you had your whole family in your house and you, you couldn't find a, 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 a quiet room anywhere. And I know people were doing that or just take a walk, go outside. Here, there's, there was a little, there's a little Japanese garden. It's not too far away from where we were living in Carmel. And we would just, we would just walk to the Japanese garden and literally just sit there and take a breath in and let the breath out and just just try to find time to relax and reset. 
Yeah, you're reminding me of why I got up at 5 a.m. Because that was the only time of day where there was there was no chaos or activity in my home with two young kids during that time. You're in total control <laughs> of what happens at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I want to end on what I think is going to be like a fun note. And um, you're someone from your team told me that you're referred to as a modern day stoic. And so how do you feel about that? So I, I would say this, that, that I, I certainly, I certainly ascribe to, to the, the, the discipline and it's certainly a, a discipline I, that I embrace. And, and for those who maybe just a quick um, primer on, I'm not going to give a definition of stoicism, but it, it's, it's, if I found out that it's the way that I was acting and the way that I felt anyway, and someone recommended to me, I had, I had wanted to read it, but it was Marcus Aurelius's meditations. And what that helped to do is give it a definition and a direction. And it's this notion that there, there are these writings from over 2000 years ago, and it's really about doing what's right. And it's about living a life of service that's being, that's guided by a, a set of ethics and a set of how we should live our lives. And it was what I was doing. For me, it was common sense. And then when I read more about it, I, it, it made me realize, yes, this is what I believe. And so I would definitely put myself in this camp of being a, a, a modern day stoic. And my, one of my favorite lessons, and I call it the secret of life or the secret of happiness. And, and it, there's, there's a lot of different ways that it's been quoted. And that's basically to not focus on those things that are out of your control, but to focus on the things that are 100% in control. And that's what you do next and how you react to a situation. And so mm-hmm. I think I said, man, I wish I would have learned that a lot earlier in my career. Speaking of savagery and, 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 and being a sage, there were some things I used to really worry about things that were outside of my control. And I spent a lot of time just kind of wringing my hands and, and, and worrying about that rather than focusing on, okay, I can't control the pandemic. It is coming at me. It is happening. But what I can control is what do I do next? What message do I send to my company? What actions do I take to keep my company safe and sound? What actions do we collectively take to, to reach out to help our nonprofits continue to fundraise? We're in 100% control of all of those actions. We just can't worry about the fact that, that this pandemic is continuing on. And so I'd say, you know, it, for me, that's really, really a key to life. It's a key to, to being able to, 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 fi- to find balance. And, I, and that is something that I have taken from Stoicism. It's probably in other writings, but it's, it's a big learning that I have taken from Stoicism as well. I love it. Yeah, we, we always end on a piece of advice to entrepreneurs who are just getting started, because um, that's, that's a lot of our listenership, our you know, early entrepreneurs, people that are considering taking the jump. And so I, I think you gave it right there. Just like focus on what's in your control. Um, so if people want to get a copy of Fearless, I'm guessing it's available where all books are sold, but how would you recommend they get in touch with you and engage with Fearless as a resource? I would recommend to go to Amazon and search for Fearless and my name, Steve Johns, and that should pop up. You can find me on LinkedIn and I would be happy to connect. Great. Well, thank you so much for your sage wisdom today and sharing your journey and a little bit about your book. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. 
Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com. 